to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. If you love running or eating, you'll love this show. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Hi, this is Monica from Run, Eat, Repeat, a website I started to document training for my first marathon. Since then, I've run over 30, lost weight, become a health coach, and Run, Eat, Repeat has turned into a huge community online. You can follow at Runny Repeat on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can follow me while I'm running if you're willing to carry water and some snacks. Just a heads up, I'll probably ask you to take pictures of me, but you've been warned. On today's episode, I am answering more of your questions. Just a heads up, one of the questions is about Botox and lip injections and things like that. So if that is a trigger for you or just takes you to a bad place, Use some discretion and skip this episode. I give you permission. I will write you a note you can take to your teacher and tell them, I don't have to do a podcast report because my Monica says I can't listen to this one. But it's it's not that it's going to be gory. I just, I don't want to give anyone a complex. So I'm giving you a little warning beforehand. I have about five questions ready to go to answer in this episode, but They can be very lengthy. I could probably do an individual episode on each of these different ones. So I'm going to see how long it goes because I don't want this to be super ridiculous in terms of length. Um, Let me know in the show notes if it's cool, if it goes a little longer, or if you prefer them to be about 30 minutes or less. The squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Let's get to it. Question number one. Do you have any recipes that are super quick to make or super low in ingredients for the lazy cook? Yes, I am all about being efficient with your time. And I love recipes that are five ingredients or less, four ingredients or less. And I'm specifically obsessed right now with sheet pan recipes, which I feel are perfect for someone who describes themselves as lazy, especially lazy with cleaning. Because if you're not familiar, a sheet pan recipe is something that you can make on a sheet pan that you put in the oven to bake or roast. And it has carbs, protein, and veggies all on that one thing that you can put foil down first on the sheet pan. Then you put whatever are your ingredients. I have made chicken fajitas on it, and I've also made a um, chicken and potato dish. But you put foil on the pan, then you put all your ingredients and you bake it. And you basically have an entire meal and no cleanup at all. And if you work it right, if you plan it right, you'll make enough that you have leftovers too, which are super awesome if you're lazy and you don't have to start cooking a new meal every night. I am a fan. Also, I put together a list of super quick and easy recipes that I have made in the past and that are on Run, Eat, Repeat. So check out the show notes for those. But I did want to kind of review some of the basics just to kind of get you started And it allows you to, it's great to kind of get recipes from someone else, but at the end of the day, you really have to eat what you like to eat or it's going to feel restrictive, right? So you can check out the recipes on Run, Eat, Repeat, but here are some healthy cooking hacks that will make it a lot easier for you. First, meal prep and plan. And meal prep is not just something that bodybuilders do or super type A moms with eight kids. This is something everyone should do because it saves time. It saves food. You're not letting stuff go bad that you don't realize until after the fact. 
You're not coming home and kind of peeking in the fridge and saying, oh, what am I going to make tonight? And that's obviously wasting time. Or if you're anything like me and you don't know what you're going to make, you snack as you figure out what you're going to cook. And then you snack while you're cooking it. And then you eat dinner. So it's like a three course meal at the very least that I do when I'm not planning. It also makes it just, you kind of get it over with. If you do as much meal prep as possible in the beginning of the week, or whenever you go grocery shopping, you buy everything that you need for your plan for the week. And that could just be a plan of dinners. If you already have kind of set breakfast and lunches, but you come home and chop anything that needs to be chopped, kind of marinate anything or portion things out for different snacks. If you do that in one go and you kind of do it all in one night, give yourself an hour or two to knock this out, you are going to make it easier for yourself during the week. And it saves a lot of time too, because you're not re-cleaning up every time you make a new snack or make a new meal. So it's very efficient with that as well. Next, I would say, if you realize that this is a challenge for you, you kind of have to prioritize potentially spending more money to make it easier for you in terms of getting meal prep containers. I'm a huge fan of that. I have realized that it's just a lot easier for me when I have individual portions of leftovers versus putting everything in one container. I just feel like it's more efficient to just grab one container versus grabbing out a big container, putting it in a bowl, then heating it up and then adding whatever. It just makes more sense to me. So I have meal prep containers that I super love and I'll put a link to them in the show notes. Also, crock pots are awesome. If you're lazy, you do not have to watch over them. Everyone's obsessed with the Instapot. I don't know much about it. My mom just got one and we keep talking about it, but I don't have one yet. But that is super, super efficient as well. Um, So I would say if you don't have a crock pot yet, maybe get an Instapot. If not, get a crock pot. I have some crock pot recipes that I'm sharing in the show notes that I think are super easy as well. Things like foil, like I mentioned, something that's going to make it easier for you to avoid a ton of dirty work cleanup helps. It makes your cooking time that much less because half of cooking time really is cleaning up after, right? So you can cut that out if you are able to kind of cover your pans, cover whatever you need to that would result normally in extra scrubbing. Also something that would cost extra money, but you need to prioritize how much do you really not like cooking or how much do you really not have time for it is to buy things that are more kind of already ready-made, like pre-chopped veggies they cost more for sure. Anything that's already chopped for you, veggies or fruit or even protein. Um, If you're getting chicken that is sliced in tenders or some other way versus chicken on the bone, it's going to be more expensive. But if that is going to make you less likely to then roll through Chipotle and buy food out, that's still saving money, right? So you got to prioritize your time versus how much you don't like this versus, I don't know, anything else that you've got going on. And my next hack is to identify your favorite foods and find ways to use them that kind of give you some variety. I am a huge fan of ground turkey. I recently did a post, it was a partner post 
where I did ground turkey five different ways. So in the beginning of the week, I made a massive batch of ground turkey and I cooked it with onions and garlic and just kind of some generic spices, like a little bit of Italian seasoning, a ton of extra garlic, salt and pepper. I'm just going to keep saying garlic because I put so much garlic in it. I probably still smell like it. And then I used it in five different ways throughout the course of the week. I actually do not need variety with certain foods. I can eat the same thing for probably months and months. I'll go through a phase of just being obsessed with a certain meal and I don't need to change it up until one day. I'll change it up, but then I'll stick with that new thing forever. So I did it five different ways just to illustrate a point, but you can do that too. If you have a certain, you know, if your favorite thing in the world are baked potatoes, you can have it a couple different ways so that you just make one batch and then you can switch it up a little bit over the course of the week so that you don't get bored of it if that is an issue for you. So I say try to be as efficient as possible with your planning and prep. And then I have a bunch of recipes on the blog in the show notes that you can check out. There's a couple of crock pot ones. Also breakfast, so many breakfast dishes you can prep the night before and then you can do them in batches. You can do overnight oats and do, you know, three, four, five at a time so that you have it for Monday through Friday. As you bust through your week, you don't have to remake breakfast every morning. It just makes it very efficient. It helps, like I said, with cleanup, which helps cut down on time. And it doesn't require that many different ingredients if you're going with a certain flavor or theme each week. Let me know if you have any other suggestions. If you have a super awesome sheet pen recipe, definitely share that with me too, because I'm still so obsessed with that. Okay, next question. How do you know what is a reasonable gain in speed over a four to six month training cycle? In parentheses, it says shaving 10 minutes off a half, 20 minutes off a half. Okay, this really depends on so many factors. What was your fitness level based on kind of where you think your starting point is. If it was your first race ever and you didn't know what to expect and you did an eight-mile training run, like that was your longest run, then you can make amazing gains in four to six months. You can get a ton faster. Or if you had a horrible race day for whatever reason, it was really hot, the course was a lot hillier than you thought, you can show up to another race fitter and it's a flatter course and just like bust out an amazing, amazing race. So it really depends. If the last race that you are kind of using as a gauge, right, that's your starting point. Point A is where you are and you want to get, you want to see how far you can get in four to six months. If point A is you on an awesome race day after a super awesome and strong training cycle where you gave it your all, you probably won't be able to shave 20 minutes off. That's a huge, huge difference. Um, So unfortunately, I can't really say that, but you can get a good idea of what to expect at a race on a couple of different things. First, if you're being honest with yourself, you can assess what is your pace for long runs right now in this training cycle, right? Like what is your pace for your long run right now? And then how fit are you? What is your difference in fitness from the last race that you're trying to improve upon? Do you have any other factors going on 
that are going to impact your training and fitness. Are you coming back from an injury or are you super, super busy and traveling a lot? So you're not going to be able to get in all your runs or do you not have anything kind of tying you down? You live in an awesome climate and you want to show the hell up to training. All of that factors in. And I would say, just be honest with yourself about that. How much are you showing up to training? What are your long runs like? What is your fitness level like? How many miles a week are you running? And how hard is this new race? And then you can kind of factor all of that together along with your current pace to give you an idea at least of this is a reasonable expectation of me. This is kind of like a an A goal, right? You set a very high and awesome, but still attainable yet challenging A goal for race day. And in the show notes, I have a half marathon pace chart. So you can see that if you are running an eight minute mile for a half marathon, you're going to finish the race in about a 145. If you are running 13 miles, um, 13 minute miles for 13 miles as well, right? Um, For 13.1. It's funny that I randomly picked that one. But if you're running a 13 minute mile, your half marathon time is going to be about 250, two hours and 50 minutes. So you can kind of see, this looks like my estimated finish time. Factor in two, the reality that you're going to be faster on race day. And I'm telling you that. I'm not saying you're probably going to be faster on race day. I'm confident that you're going to be faster. It is just race day is an awesome time to show up. I'm confident you're going to show up because it seems like you are shooting for the stars with these goals of you want to shave off 10 minutes, 20 minutes. So I know you're going to show up on race day. So factor that in. It's not just your long run pace is what your half marathon pace is going to be. No, you're going to be faster than that for sure. Just factor in everything else as well. And there are race prediction charts and little different calculators that you can put in your last time, like your previous race time and how much you're running right now. Um, It's usually miles per week. And then sometimes they ask you a couple of other things and there will be something that will give you an idea. There's one on Runner's World. There's one on Project 538. So I will put links in the show notes if you want to put in your numbers and let that chart or let that calculator give you an estimate of what potentially your half marathon time could be. And then you know the fill in the blank part of how much work are you willing to do? How fit are you? How much time do you have? What are your resources and what would stand in your way? And then that would give you a better idea. And outside of that, I would say to work with a coach to be able to tell you. Hope that was helpful. Okay, question number three. You're open about most things, but I haven't seen any info on if you did something to your lips a while back. It looks cool. Cost range, is it a one-time thing? Redone like eyelashes or a spray tan? I don't have lip filler, but I do get Botox and I have gotten it. Originally, when I first started to get Botox, oh my gosh, and I think I got it. This is so horrible, but let me give you the disclaimer that I live in Orange County. The first time I got Botox, I was probably 23 or 24. And People like to call it baby Botox. It makes them feel better. Um, That it's just a tiny bit. It's just preventative because I was noticing that I was waking up in the morning with kind of that line in the middle of my forehead or my eyebrows. And 
a lot of people in my family have that. People call it the 11s. I didn't have two lines. I just had one. Um, but it's a very deep one. And a lot of my family members have one and it's very, very deep. And so I thought, oh crap, I'm going to get this. So I got Botox for the first time very early as a preventative thing. Since then, I have gotten it more on my forehead and um, I got it around my mouth. I started to get around my mouth this year, which kind of Botox, if you're not familiar, it is poison. Yeah, it's poison that basically paralyzes your muscle. And it's called Botox because I think it is made with some sort of derivative of botulism. I am aware of this. I don't need a lecture. I've done worse for less. The point is, I realize that it paralyzes the muscle so that you can no longer make that. I couldn't make that face anymore that gave me that wrinkle in the middle of my forehead. And since then, I've gotten into other areas, including it wasn't like on my lip lip, but around my mouth and it relaxes the muscles. So sometimes things do look bigger or right after it happens, like I will get swollen. Um, I have done other things. A, the Invisalign makes my lips look bigger. Even when I'm not wearing the Invisalign, when I'm wearing it, they look noticeably. And again, Invisalign, another topic for another day, but it is not invisible. And because I have big teeth and because I had a lot of the anchors are the little spots that they put on so the Invisalign holds on, they stick they stick those to your teeth so that the Invisalign will stay. And those you can see even without the Invisalign on and they push my lip out. So that has definitely made a difference as well. What I realized, I think there are a lot of makeup tricks you can do and angles that really, really help. And like I said, what I realized is when I used to put foundation on my face, I would put it on as if I was putting sunblock on. And only recently did I realize I'm, this was including over my lips. So I was making my lips look smaller all the time. And then I would try to wipe it off or put lip gloss on top of it but I never really made a ton of effort with lipstick because I always thought that it would look like I was overdone because I have really big eyes. So I thought like, I can't have big eyes and then a dark lip situation. Like I would just look ridiculous. Anyways, um, the point is that you can do a lot of things without having to do the lip thing. Now, the entire story of lip injections is I did try to get lip injections over three years ago, probably four years ago. I went to a place, I found a place that I no longer go to for Botox. There was a group on for it. I went to this place and it was not a med spa. It was a medical type office that specialized in other things that weren't plastic surgery or it wasn't a dermatologist. It was, let me just leave it at, it was a group on for Botox. I went. I saw that they had lip filler as well and basically got upsold lip filler. And and to make a long story short, when they went to put it on me, she stuck the needle in my lip and then took the needle out and then squeezed my lip to, and this was like when it was bare, she was barely starting trying to do this. You know what I'm thinking now is that I didn't even get my money back for this. This is so ridiculous that this happened. I 
passed out. I have never passed out in my life, but her starting to put the needle in and just the way she was, the the way she was squeezing my lip hurt so bad. It really was, I feel like more the squeezing than the needle. I think, I really believe this. I passed out to the point where she, I was in the office or in the room with just the doctor. She had to suddenly rush over to the door, open it, yell for someone who came with smelling salts. And I was passing out and I was a mess. And it just left me with a bruise. And I had to, again, this is like four years ago. I had to make up a story. Ben did not know I was doing this. This is like back when I was with Ben. And he didn't know I was doing this. I had to make up a story about why I had a black lip. I don't remember what I said. It was something stupid. Like I was clumsy and hit my face on something. This is so ridiculous. Um, And it was just like a cluster. And since then I have wanted to get it. Do not get me wrong. I don't want to be like crazy fake lips, but I, yeah, I think I have big features. I think I could kind of pull it off. Um, but I am so the the thought of that, I think I would pass out just from that anticipation, just because I would stress myself out too much. So there's my little story with that. I definitely will continue to get Botox and whatever else magic stuff. I don't know. I gotta start getting some fancy face cream and all of that stuff, which is another topic for another day. I am starting to be more proactive about those things. And yeah, I don't talk about this. I also want to say and make this a very big deal because I don't think it's necessary for people to do this in my defense and how or why I get it is A, I want to. So there's that. B, my job is the blog and social media. And so I'm taking pictures of myself a lot. And I don't think you guys are hanging out with me because of how I look. I'm not that special. But I have to see pictures of me a lot and I want to feel like I look good, you know? So it just, it it makes me feel a little better. I don't think it's a thing. I live in Orange County also. People are gorgeous. I'm a two, maybe on a, on my best day, on my best freaking day <laughs> after the flu. So I'm also really skinny and I, I got to blow out as a two at most. So I don't know if you can hear Vegas, but he's super freaking out right now. I don't want to plant the seed in your head of someone needing to do this. You know, like maybe you think you're fine, but if your friend keeps talking about how they need to go on a diet, you start questioning if you need to go on a diet. I don't talk about this because I don't want me saying, oh, I got to go get Botox again. You start thinking, does she think I need to get Botox or maybe I need to get Botox? I never. I am way too self-involved. I am a complete freaking narcissist. Like I've said, I never say anything in an effort to get anyone else to do anything. Like I'm like way too self-involved for that. But I also don't want to put that idea in anyone's head. I want you to be happy with what you have going on. So if you want to talk about this more, I am super open to it. I just don't want to encourage this if it's not something that's already on your radar. If it's on your radar, ask me a question because I also don't want you to go get a group on for Botox and pass out in some sort of exam room that maybe had letters on the wall that you had to read in order of size, if you know what I mean. 
don't get a group on. Go to a friend who knows someone who went to a good place. That was a major fail. And tell me if you've got lip injection and if it hurts that much because it was just like a complete waste for me. But whatever. That's just like a random story. It isn't that bad of a story. It's actually kind of funny because you know how you hear like, oh, there's like horror stories that maybe, I don't know, like someone got their got a group on for a boob job and got their boob put on backwards. I don't know. It really could have been worse. It's kind of just funny. And it teaches me a lesson to keep it together and do some better research, right? Anyways, it is though to, I'm trying to go back to the question and read it. Um, the cost range, I want to say it was like $600, I think. Most of these things are either by the unit, like a like the unit, but um, Botox is by the unit. So depending on how much you get, different places will charge differently. And then though, I think for everything else, they charge by the syringe and lip things are just by the syringe. And so it's like $500 to $800, I'm going to guess. That was a while back. Hope that was helpful. And also slightly entertaining. Hmm, I don't know. I'll try to see if, I, if there's a picture of me when I obviously had some sort of issue. I want to remember what I said, what my story was and why I had a fat lip. Maybe I blamed it on Vegas, like knocking something into my face. I really didn't. Anyways. Okay. Next question. I just ran my third half marathon and I feel like I'm starting from scratch each time I train. What is a good mileage to maintain so I can work on getting faster and not just trying to build distance? I would say first, if you feel like you're starting from scratch in between training sessions to make sure that you are still running once or twice a week. And I know after a long half marathon, marathon, 10K, 5K, whatever training session, you want to take a break sometimes and not run for a while. But yeah you're obviously going to be starting from scratch then if you completely take a break from running. So I would say incorporate other activities. It's definitely great for your body and it helps with results a lot when you change it up. So that's probably better as well, but you still want to run once or twice a week. And I would say to try and maintain a distance at least once a week of five to six miles. And a lot of half marathon training plans start with you at about a five to six mile range. Some of them even, depending on how long it is, that's like your long run at first. So if you are already at that fitness level as a base, you can focus on speed, right? So you already have, you can run five to six miles without feeling like you're going to die. And then you can build on the speed from there and then increase the distance as well. And you might want to get a longer training plan. If it seems like you want to get faster and you don't want to have to worry about rebuilding your base, but it feels like you're starting from scratch all over again every time, you might need to just get a plan that allows for base building. So maybe you're doing a 16-week or 20-week half marathon training plan instead of a 12-week. And so those extra weeks are meant to build your base so that when you start doing the speed work portion of the training plan, you feel like you are ready to do it. And so those are a couple of options. You either want to keep maintaining some sort of mileage a couple times a week or choose for your next race a longer training plan that gives you some time to build back up so that you feel fit, you feel confident in your base, and then you can do the speed work. Good luck. I hope that was helpful.
Question number five. We made it. Well, let's see. How do you maintain high mileages and not get injured? Okay. First, I want to say, because this is like, how do you, as if it's asking me, you, I'm going to throw it back to you, you who is listening to me. You need to be self-aware if you are injury prone or if you have a reoccurring injury or lingering thing. If you get injured with high mileage, acknowledge it. Don't ignore it and wish it's not going to happen the next time and be super proactive. You incorporate this into your plan so that you realize, you know what? I like to run and I like to run high mileage, but I get injured after, you know, if I run more than 20 miles a week, 40 miles a week, whatever it is, right? Whatever high mileage means for you. If you realize that, if this has happened once, okay, maybe it was a fluke. If it's happened twice, I would say, yes, I'm going to be aggressive about it because we all know being injured sucks. I personally do not do a ton of quality. So how I think in the past I've been able to avoid injury is the fact that I don't do speed work. And that is probably horrible to a ton of people. And it has probably kept me from qualifying for Boston. And it is probably cost me the respect of people that take themselves very seriously. You know what? Doesn't keep me up at night. I like to do quantity over quality. That's who I am as a person. Um, So I think one of the things is kind of realizing where your priorities are and self-awareness. When did we talk? I talked to Janae, Hungry Runner Girl. It might've been during Pile on the Miles. Did I tell you that she had her baby? She was super pregnant when we talked. It was in November. Hi, Janae. I love her. She is amazingly fast. She can run a marathon, a full freaking marathon in a time it takes me to run a half. But she is injury prone. So she can't do a ton of races every year. It's funny because she'll message me and be like, oh, I wish I could race as much as you. Or, oh, I can't believe you run another, you ran another race, you know, after races. She'll send me these text messages. Like she is amazed that I have run, you know, six half marathons in one year or whatever it is because that would result in her getting injured. She's a ton faster than me, like twice as fast as me, but prone to injury. You, Every body is different. She realizes that and she allows for it. So she has a whole team when she is training for a race. And I don't mean like a complete professional team, like she is Meb, but she works with a chiropractor and she has a running coach so that she doesn't run too much and allows for rest days and she does a ton of foam rolling. Like she is diligent about it. And that's what you have to be. So I put together a list of eight tips to avoid running injuries that I will go through with you. But if you are running right now or doing something else, you can check out the show notes at running repeat to see this list. Okay. Let me go through this though with you just to chime in with any of my randomness, eight tips to avoid running injuries. First, Listen for any squeaky wheels from your body. I love this term lately. This is kind of a new thing for me that I keep saying the squeaky wheel gets the oil. But is there something in, on, of your body that is a squeaky wheel? A little nagging thing. Your ankle just seems to be tight for days in a row now. Or, you know, there's just this like dull ache sometimes that your knee has or something feels really tight, pay attention to that. 
That is a squeaky wheel. If you listen, when your body whispers, you won't have to hear it scream. So you listen for those squeaky wheels because those are maybe injuries coming on. Those are the first steps, right? Listen to that and figure out what that specific area needs. So you want to acknowledge that. Next, take extra rest if needed. If you feel like something is going wrong, if you feel like you are on the brink of an injury or an illness or something that's going to be a bigger setback, take an extra rest day or take it easy. Maybe don't do a super hard speed workout and switch it out for something else. Next, when we're talking about avoiding running injuries, you have to stretch and foam roll. You have to stretch. You have to stretch. You have to stretch, Monica. I'm just talking to myself. I'm just saying this to myself. This should be my mantra, actually. You have to stretch. When someone asks me, what's your running mantra? I'm going to be like, you have to stretch. So that maybe when I'm done with my run, I actually stretch. This is really hard for me. Um, I already, I haven't been able to put it up yet, but I have a super awesome interview coming out with, um, there's a book that this team of doctors wrote that are how to avoid all of these different running injuries. It's like an encyclopedia, but also what do you do if you feel one coming on? And I told her that, oh yeah, I'm trying to make myself stretch, you know, twice a week. And she was like, you have to stretch every day. Like (laughs) you have to stretch after every run. Like she wasn't even like, oh, that's cute. No, not good enough. You have to stretch. That is the next one. You have to prioritize recovery, including refueling. And you should refuel with a combination of protein and fat within 30 minutes after a hard workout. And this isn't just for running. This is any hard workout. Ideally, it's either a four to one or three to one, depending on who do you ask, ratio of carbs to protein. And ideally, it's 30 minutes or within 30 minutes of finishing a workout. And that will help you kind of refuel your muscles. The next one, you want to ice achy areas. This kind of goes back to if you are asking athletic things of your body, treat it like an athlete would. And if you were involved at all in competitive high school sports or college sports, you know that before and after hard training sessions or games or matches or whatever, people, you know, did ice baths or did a jacuzzi or got a sports massage. Like you want to do all of those things to be kind and loving to these parts of your body that you are working really hard. Next one, incorporate strength training and cross training and potentially yoga. And this kind of goes along with the stretching, but it's different in that you might not want to be running every day, especially if you are injury prone, you need to take rest days. And if you need to take a lot of rest days, if you can only run three, four days a week without getting injured, then you can incorporate some muscle balancing, strength training, and yoga for stretching into that as well. Next, get a sports massage. And it would be even better if you had an ongoing relationship with a masseuse that knew your body and a sports massage specialist, like someone that works with athletes and can tell you, hey, I noticed that one of your quads is a lot tighter than the other. You know, they they get to know your body. They understand your training and can help you if you're not super intuitive with what's going on with your body, kind of figure out if there is something that seems a little off, if you have a muscle imbalance. 
And finally, you need to know the difference between being sore, being tired, and being injured. And that is very hard because as distance runners, we can oftentimes take a lot of discomfort. And so it's it's hard to realize like, am I just being a baby? Like, should I tell myself like, suck it up and keep going? Or am I really getting hurt right now? Is this an injury? Am I just sore? Am I tired? Am I full of crap? Like, you need to know your body and you need to be aware of it, which is why figuring out if there's any squeaky wheel, doing a head to toe assessment on a regular basis of, is anything in my body telling me, hey, it needs a break? Or maybe, you know what? It doesn't need a break, but it needs an ex- some extra love. It needs some extra stretching or massage or icing or heat, or it needs to be taped, any of that. You need to be an expert in your body and realize the signals of, I'm about to get injured. Sometimes that means you're just more tired than usual, like your legs feel heavy, you know, you need a little extra rest. Sometimes something feels tight. And sometimes what you don't want is some sort of shooting pain. So just being aware of that and knowing the difference between those things will help you avoid something turning into an injury. I hope that was helpful. Like I said, you can check that out in the show notes. All um, That whole list is there. And if you have a question for me, you can email me, run, eat, repeat at gmail.com. It's helpful if you put podcast question in the subject line. Obviously, you can ask me about anything because today I was talking about Botox and smelling salts, which I don't even know what those are, but I think that is crazy. And you can also, if you want, leave a voicemail as an alternative. Uh, 562-888-1644 is the running repeat voicemail line. So you can just leave a message with your name and location, city, state, country, whatever it is. And yeah, whatever you want to know. Obviously, everything is fair game at this point, but I hope it was helpful or educational or both. It's infotainment, right? I super appreciate you listening. Have a great run. Thank you for listening to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. For more information, check out runeatrepeat.com.